Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. I'm HRN Communications Director Kat Johnson with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're focusing on water. You'll hear some disturbing news from an NYC investigative reporter. Here lies the problem, how much we don't know about water tanks. Katie Kiefer reports on water woes in the heartland. Their water is heavily polluted with nitrates, which are coming from agricultural chemical applications on fields and running off into their water table. And we'll check in with Dave Arnold, who's about to open a new bar that will serve some pretty fancy H2O. It is hardcore. So pour up a tall glass of ice water and be refreshed by this week's episode of Meat in 3, available on heritageradionetwork.org, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to this week's Why Food Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jenny Dorsey. And I'm Ethan Frisch. Um, if you remember, Why Food is about the podcast for entrepreneurs and innovative people who have left their former careers um, and jumped into the food and beverage industry. Today, we're welcoming Yuan Ji, who is the CEO and co-founder of Erstwhile Mezcal, an artisanal small batch mezcaler. Uh, mezcal importer and brand from Brooklyn. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Jenny. It's great to be here with you guys. So we're just going to uh, jump right in the way that we usually do with your aha moment. You started your career in as a, as a lawyer That's working right. on antitrust cases. Correct. Um, and now you have a mezcal company, which is fairly new, right? You just uh, you launched the company recently and you're working on your first shipment now, I guess. Yes, it's pretty new. Uh, I was doing the groundwork a year ago, but I did quit my uh, big law job uh, fairly recently in February this year. Congratulations. <laughs> big step. Yes. So absolutely. so what was the moment when you realized that corporate or uh, uh, law in general wasn't for you and Mescal was? Uh, so, you know, when we th- when we think about an aha moment, I have to step back and think about um, the big picture here is that as individuals, I think we all respond to um, certain things and values much more strongly than others. And for me, like I was telling you guys over lunch earlier, is that um, for as long as I've remembered, the things that I really gravitate toward uh, are anything involving uh, adventure, um, romance, um, beauty, and learning. You know? <laughs> sure, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> All of the above. Yeah. And so that's the big picture. And in terms of a hot moment of um, leaving the law and diving into Mezcal, I would say there are three layers to it. And you know we can dive into each of them more deeply if you want. And those three things are uh, why I love Oaxaca, which is where um, our Mezcal is from, uh, why I love Mezcal, and lastly, why I want to um, start a business and devote myself to those two things. And while you were, uh, this all kind of started when you took a trip to Oaxaca. So yes. um, as you were meeting these mezcaleros and seeing that process, um, was there a specific moment where you realized like mezcal is going to be the answer to all three of these different things that I want to do and pursue? Uh, right. So so we took our first trip to Oaxaca in November 2015, um, just 
for vacation as, as a tourist. And prior to that point, I had never traveled in Mexico. So I spoke zero Spanish. So, you know, I was um, a blank slate. I had no idea what to expect and uh, let alone how uh, this place was going to change my life um, so dramatically. So uh, Oaxaca is, is beautiful. Um, just saturated with color and um, every detail is gorgeous. There's colonial architecture um, down to the details, like the trees. I love the trees of Oaxaca. I have my favorite trees in Oaxaca. <laughs> <laughs> what are the trees? Uh, uh, so I have three favorite trees. Uh, <laughs> one is the, the flame tree. is this gorgeous bright orange red, and they bloom at different times of the year. Uh, one is, a, uh, they call it primavera, so it's a very gorgeous bright yellow. And then uh, Jacaranda is like a purple purple tree. And they're just outrageous. They don't hold anything back when they flower. <laughs> so, okay, so Oaxaca, that's Oaxaca. And then, so getting back to Mezcal, um, <laughs> I took a day trip uh, in the Oaxacan countryside, a Mezcal day trip. Um, first time I was there just to um, see how artisanal Mezcal is made. And that was basically my first introduction Prior to that, I had tasted mezcal, but had no idea about the process that went into it. And Let's, it's tr- well, just tell us uh, what what is mezcal if if any of our listeners aren't familiar. Sure, mezcal is uh, a liquor distilled from agave, which is a plant, and they're just like wine. There are different kinds of uh, uh, varietals of agave, as in different types of grapes in wine, and um, anything made from any kind of agave plant is mezcal. So it's it's a very broad category. And so tequila is technically a mezcal. Tequila is, yes, it's a mezcal. It's one type of mezcal, and it's a subset in this big, broad family known as a mezcal because tequila is made only from one type of agave, um, commonly known as the blue agave. And, and so, sorry, back to your story yes. about this visit to the, the mezcaleros. Right. So uh, th- this day trip, uh, just visiting different mezcaleros, uh, was, it really just uh, blew my mind because... Um, it is so um, labor intensive and just like a lot of things you do with your your hand it's very uh, meditative and real for for lack of better uh, description basically everything you put into it is is what you get out of this liquor there's no um, you know it's not industrialized at all there's uh, there's no machines and extra artificial ingredients, chemicals you're adding to it. It just mm-hmm. all came from that plant. So walk us briefly through the process from, from the agave plant to, to having mezcal in a bottle or, or drinking some, which we're going to do in, in a minute. But. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so how mezcal is made, artisanal mezcal, first you have to uh, get a batch of the agave that you're going to make the mezcal from. So this could, if you're a mezcalero, this could be agave growing on your land, um, or oftentimes you have to go somewhere that, uh, land somewhere else and buy the agave, because the fact is, uh, it takes a long time for agave to mature, even with, say, espadine, which is the uh, most common, fastest maturing variety of agave, it takes somewhere between five to seven years wow. for that plant to mature. So that's that's really a long time. So unless you are a land mogul and just have infinite <laughs> supply of agave, you know, it's not 
realistic to get all your supply from your your own land. So you mm-hmm. you know you have to get out there and buy a lot. What does the agave plant look like? Uh, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. I didn't bring agave to the studio <laughs> and show you guys today. Um, I recommend Google Image, uh, and uh, <laughs> it's um, they can vary. They can be as small as. Um, uh, the size of a basketball, the maybe? The size of a basketball. The, yeah, yeah. Or all the way to as tall as I am. I'm about 5'8", and <laughs> definitely much thicker. If I, I cannot put my arm around it with all the leaves. Uh, yeah. they, the leaves shoot out from the center of the, of the plant. So they vary a lot in size. And you said it takes five to seven years for some varietals. And uh, you mentioned earlier, it lunched up to 20 years from correct, some of the wild. Yes. And after you harvest it, you actually have to replant the whole thing. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So once you harvest, when you harvest um, agave for mezcal, you go for the core known as a piña. It looks like a pineapple. Piña means pineapple in Spanish. Piña is actually pineapple <laughs> in Spanish. Um, so you have to chop down all the leaves and get to the core. Once it's harvested, that agave has uh, is gone so um, you would have to replant or um, find another crop yeah. agave mm-hmm. somewhere else and then those piñas get roasted so those piñas you can either go out in a field chop it down on your own like you go to the orchard to pick apples or they maybe they're already pre-chopped you load them onto a truck bring them back to your palanque which is the place where you make the mezcal and the next step would be roasting um, and uh, with artisanal mezcal, it's uh, the agave is roasted in an open pit oven uh, that is lined with stone. So you would have to light a fire and cover it with stone. And this entire time during roasting, the fire is going uh, underneath the stone. That could mm-hmm. be for several days, right? It, yeah, you would have to go for several days. And of course, the number of days uh, depends on the mezcalero. Each of them have their own method and recipe, but definitely several days for sure. And then after after the roasting, what's next? So uh, after the roasting, so backing up a little bit, you don't just throw these piñas into the oven and call it a day, right? You have to prep the oven, let it smoke out. You don't want this... Uh, it, Need, you know the mescalera, the mescalera would know the best like when to put the piñas into the oven, but you definitely don't want this all the smoke coming out. There's a mm-hmm. point at which the oven's ready. Uh, with giant piñas, uh, they would cut up the piña slightly, so it's not uh, this huge uh, entire piña going into the oven. So in large chunks, conducive to roasting. Then uh, they load the piñas into the oven and cover it with tarp or uh, could be the fiber from a previous roasting and, you know, let it go for a few days. And then uh, you take them out of the oven and let it cool down. And the next step after roasting would be um, grinding down the piñas, which are now roasted and sweet and caramelized. And, but still fibrous because of the, the, pina, the fiber in the pina where they came from. Mm-hmm. Um, so the grinding could, uh, there are different ways to do it. Uh, you could do it in a stone mill pulled by a horse or donkey. I've seen mescaleros who do it by hand, uh, which is really hard backbreaking work uh, with essentially a giant wooden stick. So they could put it in a, a pit uh, or, or a vat and just 
pound the heck out of How it. How long does that take? Uh, it, it, again, it depends. It could, <laughs> I would think it takes days. It yeah. takes days because of the size uh-huh. of the peanuts that went in for roasting. And depending on how many people you have working, yep. uh, it, could, it could be faster if you have more people. But for sure, days. The, the grinding is a... And so does the roasting impart that kind of like smoky flavor to mezcal versus like is tequila uh, roasted at all? Um, so tequila, I don't believe they roast the, uh, uh, you know, there's, there is such a thing as artisanal tequila and mm-hmm. I'm by no means expert on tequila, but I believe with tequila, they don't, um, the unique thing about artisanal mezcal is they, uh, roast the agave slow roasting mm-hmm. in, in an earthen oven. And I don't believe they do that with, with tequila. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly that's the norm, not the exception. Um, so, so then what's, what? what's the next step after the roasting? After the grinding, uh, oh, right? After the grinding. So after the grinding, um, so now you have, the next step would be fermentation. So now the the, ro- the, pina, the pinas are roasted. They are uh, broken down into smaller chunks um, so that the sugar that's in the, the pinas are conducive to fermentation. So you load them into wooden vats and add water to it. And with artisanal mezcal, it's open vat fermentation. Um, so basically just natural yeast, whatever's floating in the air, Mm -hmm. um, that particular year, it could change maybe from year to year and just let it do its magic. And, um, which just goes to show why artisan mezcal is very much art, not science. I mean, unless you want to go out there and try to scientifically write down, like what, 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 what is this yeast? (laughs) You don't know exactly. And, um, so you don't add anything additional, any additional sugar or, additional yeast, you just let it ferment naturally for a few days in the vats. And then it gets distilled. And then uh, then it goes into the still, correct? So the, the still, um, there are different uh, types of still. The mescaleros that I partner with now all use copper stills, but you could also use clay still, for example, which I, I think does make a difference to the taste. Um, How does it impact the taste? <sighs> So it's hard to generalize, but if I were to generalize, I would say with <laughs> with clay stills, there's this kind of um, minerally umami. Uh-huh. Uh, Do you I, prefer it, or it's just kind of one of those one of the many variables? Uh, I there's many mezcal that I love from made from copper still. Like I said, our flagship pro, our first product line, it's all mezcal made from copper stills. So I definitely don't have this, you know, exclusive preference for. Mezcal made from clay uh, pots. That said, it can be very good. Um, s- well, so you brought some mezcals for us to taste. Yes. We, Wait, well, we I want to. I want to talk I about this uh, interesting distillation process. We were talking over lunch about hanging raw meat over uh, the distillation. Yes, 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 can yes. you tell our listeners about that? Because I've never heard about it before. Right. So mezcal, artisanal mezcal, by default, it's um, double distillation. So you distill once comes out of still, put it back in the still, distill twice. So that's the default. What we were talking about over lunch is um, a type of mezcal called petruga. Petruga is not, um, so most of the time when you refer to mezcal, you refer to the agave varietal. This is espadin, this is a tobala, uh, this is aracanio. And some, we hear people refer to a petruga, that's an exception. We're not talking about the type of agave. It's, it's more the method of how this mezcal is made. Petruga is uh, by default, triple distillation. So it's an extra distillation 
compared to other types of mezcal. And pechuga is chicken breast in Spanish, as you guys know. <laughs> so what they do is uh, they... I don't know who came up with this. <laughs> one drunken mezcal <laughs> one, night. Dr- one mezcalero, <laughs> once upon a time, uh, thought it would be a good idea to take a raw piece of uh, presumably chicken breast, suspended uh, on the top of the still. So, you know, you imagine that it's not submerged in the, in the mash uh, with the, the agave. It's, it's suspended in the still, not touching the liquid. And as the, uh, the distillation process uh, happens, I would say it basically sweats so the chicken breast. Steams the chicken. Steams. Yeah. Steams. Can you eat the chicken breast after uh, it's been I would, steamed? I would. I would totally. Yeah. You can certainly try. <laughs> I have. I personally have not eaten the the petruga because uh, it's not very appetizing looking. It's kind of this desiccated. Oh, um, all right, never mind. It's overcooked. Yeah. <laughs> but you know. <laughs> all right, bad idea. <laughs> bad, bad idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, th- what what flavor does the pechuga give to the mezcal? Why like, why are people interested in this? So, again, how what a pechuga t- what a pechuga tastes like can um, vary, um, depending depending on the mezcalero. But I would say, if I were to generalize, it adds this extra savory umaminess that actually reminds you of something meaty like like chicken breast it actually makes sense <laughs> and you know with uh, it's not just the chicken breast with petrugas uh, you can also add um other things into the still like uh, spices and fruit it could be a special thing that the mezclera likes to make maybe during the holidays as mm-hmm. the special festive um, distillation. So you can add multiple types of meat as well. Yeah, like. absolutely. So when they're different, when you get a petruga, it's not, it could be, but not necessarily always chicken breast. You know, I've had excellent petruga made from uh, quail, mm-hmm. um, rabbit, turkey. You can even have an organic uh, or a vegetarian vegan petruga, meaning oh. you don't put any meat in it, but it still goes through the triple distillation with spices. So it's... Uh, you can hang a tofu you, above it. Exactly. You can make tofu petruga. A bunch of mushrooms. Why not? Why yeah, not? Yeah. Mushroom. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so what'd you bring us to taste? So today I brought a few distillations. Two of them are from our flagship product line. uh, Can you describe this logo for us while we're looking at it too? Because I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So the Earthswell Mezcal logo, which is embossed on all of our bottles, is a woman warrior princess persona type riding a velociraptor. (laughs) Uh, Could be... In, definitely in motion, potentially flying or in midair. And yep. the woman yep. is holding what is called a kiote, which is part of the agave plant. When it flowers and matures, there's a stalk um, that shoots out from the center of the agave. And it's, uh, it's very dramatic and beautiful. Um, <laughs> what are you representing with the, with the logo? What's, what's the, the brand message? The brand message, I would say, it, are, it's what we're trying to convey with uh, our brand. It's it's quirky. It's it's artistic. It's original. It's it's a little old fashioned, but in, in the best way possible. It's um, uh, it's got a velociraptor. It, like what it's other? Awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's a woman owned business. That's not the most um important aspect of our business when I think about Ursula Mezcal first and foremost it's about excellent Mezcal Mm -hmm. but the fact that I I am a woman and oftentimes with um, in in liquor alcohol industry it's a very 
male centric um, field Mm -hmm. in advertising and just all other aspects. Yeah. Um, So that's why there's a there's a woman warrior riding the Velociraptor. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so uh, can we taste them? We're looking at these beautiful Yes, let's bottles. do it. Let's and can you also describe to us what these, um, the little tasting glasses look like? Because they're, they're glass, they're kind of, they're rounder and larger lips. Yes, so I brought some copitas for our tastings today. So traditionally when you uh, taste mezcal, um, they're served in these um, shallow glasses that are kind of like... What would be a parallel? They They kind of remind me of votive holders. Like, you know, the floating votive holders. Yeah, they could be votive holders, Mm -hmm. um, a little wider. And the the top uh, is has a wide neck so it's conducive to smelling the nose of the mezcal even before you taste it. Mm. Um, And you could some you can also do tastings in um, these uh, gourds from, you know, plant. Um, but they're called hikaras. I, um, they tend to break when I travel with them and from the humidity in New York versus Oaxaca. Mm-hmm. So, um, usually I just bring, I use glass copitas instead. Nice. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, going to pour out some mezcal for us. This is the, the, the exciting part of the, I, br- I brought some ice because I want to have <laughs> ice in my mezcal, but can you tell us like when you're tasting, um, how do you usually taste? What are you looking for? How do you determine if, you know, this Mescalero's mezcal is something you want to put your brand name on? Right. So I, my personal preference with mezcal is that, um, just like how I, I look for a, an interesting, complex, well-rounded mezcal versus there are some mezcals that are uh, just very straightforward. You know, you taste X, Y, and Z, and within the first five seconds, and and, and bam, it's, it's it's gone. And I kind of <laughs> like a mezcal that um, goes through transformations that you don't. It's not all that meets the eye right away. You taste, you smell something, and then you taste it, and you taste different flavors, and then after a few seconds, you taste something, ash or smoke, and but it, it mm-hmm. doesn't kick in until, until a few seconds into it. So um, just like I was telling you guys over lunch earlier, it's, I like my mezcal, how I lo- like people, how I like my <laughs> friends, my close circle. It's well-rounded, nuanced, interesting, complex people in mezcal. Yeah, not, we're not interested in, yeah. the, in the straightforward, one-dimensional characters. Right. Um, and uh, tell us a little bit about the mescaleros that you're working with in this first shipment. What 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 are some of their stories, and how did you meet them? Uh, so I am working with two mescaleros right now, both based in Santiago Matalan, which is about an hour outside of Oaxaca City. And I met them um, several times throughout the years. Um, I would say how I decided to work with them was... Um, September last year, um, we went on a trip to Oaxaca specifically to uh, taste interview Mescalero, so to speak. Uh, we basically uh, went, spent two or three days going to different uh, villages, trying Mescal with different uh, Mescaleros uh, that one of our friends at Local Contacts put us in touch with to, to figure out and narrow down who do we want to supply our um, first shipment of Mezcal? What were you looking for? 
Uh, you know, I didn't have a specific list. For, so first and foremost, it has to be they have to make excellent mezcal. Uh, we decided early on that excellence excellence is not no something. Mediocre no here. mediocre mezcal. No mediocre mezcal ever. Uh, we don't compromise on excellence, and so that's definitely key. And just other things. Sometimes you just you know like you feel a spiritual connection, like I was saying earlier, with with the place or with with this family more so than you do with others. Um, for example, one of our mezcaleros that we're working with, you know, it's very much a family business. Um, they have a daughter who is a little younger than me, but essentially about our age, who went to law school <laughs> and decided to come back into the family to wow. uh, work in the family business. And, you know, that's not um, necessary to to. It's not something I was necessarily looking for when I went set out to, to interview Mescaleros, but that really resonated with me. It's, you know, this smart young woman mm-hmm. uh, who it's great to see women in the mezcal business in general. Just and she uh, rides a velociraptor around the park. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> all day, every day. Oh, so I'm curious. After the agave plant um, flowers, and you can't harvest the pina anymore right. after that, what do you do with the plant? What do you do with the plant? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's uh, you just kind of have to wait for a future generation. I guess you could use the the leaves for maybe firewood, but the, oh, the, okay. in terms of mezcal, that plant is gone. Huh. Wow. Yeah. So uh, tell us so, what we're about to taste. So we are um, tasting Espadine from uh, this is fr- this is one of the mezcal from our flagship product line. And Espadine is the varietal. Espadine is the varietal of the agave. That's fastest maturing. Takes about five to seven years to mature. And what are the flavor characteristics of this particular mezcal? Um, so I would like to have you guys try it first and then okay. I'd be interested to see what you guys think it tastes like. Well, Ethan's really good at describing things. Uh-oh. So, so pressure is on. <laughs> and, and lucky listener gets to listen to us Don't say fresh cut carton hose. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> All right, let's try this. The 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 copitas are kind of tricky to drink from. Are they? You gotta like tip them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when I smell it, it's so it's very sweet and like vegetal mm-hmm. yeah. and smoky. But I mean, I always so the mezcal that I see most frequently is the one in the green bottle. So I never knew actually what color it's supposed to be. Um, I was always under the impression maybe it had like a slight tint to it because of the roasting, but it's actually completely the, clear. The green bottles you're talking. I'm guessing you're talking about Del Maguey, mm-hmm. which uh, all of their bottles are green. So this is this is a um, this this is a Hoban mezcal. So it's it's young. It's mm-hmm. it's not uh, rested or aged. So normally this is what it looks like. It's clear. Yeah, it's a really nice balance of, of sweet and vegetal. It smell, it tastes sort of like a like a green tomato or a mm-hmm. tomatillo or something like mm-hmm. that. Maybe a little bit like a, a, a roasted tomato. Um, I don't know, Jenny, what do you taste? Um, I think about randomly like when I was in college, I drank a lot of aloe juice. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. it kind of, it doesn't taste like that, um, necessarily, but it has that kind of like refreshing, there's a, like that hint of sweetness, like mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, brings me back. So, uh, do you? How much smoke do you guys taste in this? Because I wouldn't say smoke. Definitely a roastiness, but yeah. not necessarily a smokiness. It's yeah. like it's 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 really light. Um, one of the things that I think people are nervous about smoky liquors. It's like it's so overbearing. Mm-hmm. But I think this is as you were saying earlier. It kind of you taste everything else first, and then you get a little bit of the that like chart. Yeah, and that's you know that's another thing that I want to mention about mezcal is that um, people associate with. Uh, 
smoke. It's like, oh, it's that smoky uh, liqueur, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not, mezcal can be, but does not necessarily need to be smoky. The smoke comes from the, the roasting in the oven part. Mm-hmm. So um, with this mezcal, um, to the extent there is smoke and kind of that spicy, peppery kick, yeah. for me at least, it doesn't, it kicks in a few seconds after. Like when I first tasted I don't taste that smoke and yeah. peppery right. at all. It, it it doesn't kick in until a few seconds later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it definitely has a, a peppery, like a black mm-hmm. pepper or mm-hmm. and a tingle. There's also like a sort of a vanilla uh, sensation, not even a flavor, really. Mm-hmm. Just like, See, I told you he was very good. Very good. <laughs> vanilla on A sommelier of mezcal. I just, I just eat some... a lot of spices, so I, I, <laughs> That's I, true. I have vanilla. Is, uh, is there such a term for like a mezcal expert? Um uh, well, there are mescaleros, so master mescalero. Those are okay. mescalero, people who make mezcal. I'm not sure if there's a term for the equivalent of a sommelier mm-hmm. for mezcal. Um, but you can make one. Mezcalomier. And tell us about this, this farm, this producer, this mescalero. So this is the mescalero who made this espadine that we're tasting now is uh, Juan Hernandez Mendez, uh, based in Santiago Matalan. And this is the father, the the family I was talking about earlier, whose daughter Lydia mm-hmm. um, came back from law school and is awesome. I, she's kind of like my soul sister in mezcal. <laughs> um, this is her father. Okay. And Juan is so there. His wife Hortensia also comes from a mezcal family. Um, I think five generations on wow. his wife's side and at least four generations on one side, um, counting the most, the youngest current generation. Mm-hmm. So their son, Balante, makes, mes- makes mezcal. So it's very much a, a family business. Is there anything um, particular in the way he makes his mezcal that's very different from others? Uh, they use a copper still. Mm-hmm. And they are... Um, they make... So a lot of our, we have um, several wild varietals of agave in our um, first uh, shipment of mezcal that we're bringing in. Um, for this shipment, all of the wild agave varietals are made by Juan, uh, even though he's very much, so espadine is, is cultivated, so espadine is, is not wild, uh, but he seems to really like making espadine, but that said, uh, we actually really love the wild agave varietals that, that he made. And you mentioned uh, earlier when we were talking at lunch that there's a limited quantity sort of thing that you um, are embracing for erstwhile. Is that mm-hmm. it, you bringing in some of the best mezcals that you can get your hands on, and then once they're gone, they're gone. Right. So that's definitely um, very much our brand image and how we see erstwhile mezcal being uh, different and unique from other brands that are available in the U.S. market um, today. We specialize in and we pride ourselves in finding that, uh, well, small batch, limited edition uh, mezcal. If if there's more of a grade, but it's not uncommon to have a distillation of only 200 liters. Mm -hmm. And maybe for some uh, other brands, their business model is just not worth it to bring in 200, you know, going through the logistics and the red tape. Yeah. But for us, if it's amazing, we'll get our hands on it and we'll bring that in and share with as many uh, people as possible because we love it. Mm-hmm. And the other aspect of that is that it's we and, you know, we would have we have seven types of different mezcal in our first shipment. The number could vary in the future, mm-hmm. um, but we commit ourselves to 
uh, bring in a limited edition mezcal with with no guarantee that we'll be able to do it again once that distla- once that distillation is gone. Obviously, if we love it, we'll try our best to replicate it, use the same mezcalero, get the same type of um, agave, and make it happen again. But yeah. there, there's no guarantee that it will happen again. But we uh, will still commit ourselves to bringing in that distillation. You're, you'll have some hoarders potentially on your client <laughs> list. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll talk more about the process of building the brand and the way that you're, you're telling the story of your company and the mezcaleros you're working Sounds with. Sounds like a plan. what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. And we're back. <laughs> You're listening to, to Why Food, podcast about entrepreneurs, innovators, and career changers from other, other industries into the food and beverage space. And today we're, we're talking to Yuanji, who's our, one of our first uh, beverage guests, actually. Mm-hmm. We haven't had other people working in And the first beverages. person from the liquor industry. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. exciting. Yeah, very True. exciting. So, um, uh, yeah, Yuan, you were, she was just pouring us another tasting of a, a second mezcal from a different mezcal. Tell us about this. Yes. One. So the second one is also an espadín, uh, like the first one. But uh, I brought this espadín. Both are from, you know, from our uh, product line, from Ursula Mezcal. I brought these two uh, so you can try them side by side and appreciate how different uh, mezcal can be, even uh, made from the same agave varietal, espadín in this case, and made by two different mezcaleros and who are, you know, geographically pretty uh, close to each other. They're both based in Santiago Matalan. All right, let's taste right, this one. Let's try it. Well, just on the smell, it smells really different. Yeah. Like it's. What the, does it smell like to you? I feel like the other one was more kind of like this uh, soft, like if it were, if I were thinking about like I'm thinking about like smoking meat because we were talking about mm-hmm. meat earlier. Like if the first one was more of like an applewood, this would to me would be more of like a hickory. It's a little sharper, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like just punchier. I don't know. Yeah. It smells sort of like pears to me, or like mm, I can, like some crunchy, maybe a, a really good oh, I could crunchy see apple, something like that. I'm sure this is fascinating to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're we're having a lot of fun. You just gotta live with it. 
would you hope that in the future, as mezcal becomes a little bit more mainstream and consumers get to you get used to it, that um, brands will actually start putting the variety of agave on the bottle and will start stop referring to all as mezcal because we don't say like, oh, just bring me some red wine. It's like, oh, we want Pinot Grigio. Uh, absolutely, and I think uh, any serious mezcal brand should already be doing that um, by specifying what kind of mezcal it is. Um, maybe not in big bold letters, uh, maybe it's lost in all the other information, mm-hmm. but um, certainly we do that with Urzwa Mezcal, like, um, kind of on the back of the label. There's, uh, we try to be, we try to strike a balance between um, giving out as much information as we think is relevant, but not bogging down the, the, the Mezcal drinker, the clientele with too much information. There's only so much you can fit on the label, sure. but but certainly the the variety of the agave is a very basic first thing that uh, we want to clarify. Yeah. This one tastes very different from the last mm-hmm. one. It's very herbal. It, like, yeah, cilantro mm-hmm. and parsley and dill and uh, dill. Yeah, and it, for me, it's more savory yeah. um, mm-hmm. than than the first one, mm-hmm. and almost has that petruga quality that I was telling you guys earlier. Oh, okay. Um, even though this is not a Petruga, this is a t- double distillation, regular Espadine. Yeah, this reminds me more of like um, one of the mar- like sailors or something that has a lot of like vegetable undertones, mm-hmm. um, maybe some roots in mm-hmm. there, not like root vegetables, but like yeah. like dried roots. That sounded not good, but yeah. No, but but root, yeah, like root, root vegetables. Yeah, a little ginger or ginseng or mm-hmm. something like Gentian. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the things that a lot of, I mean, this is something I've gone through with my company and basically every uh, startup food business, every entrepreneur has to deal with is, is building a brand. So yes. how did you, because you've built, you're making a really strong statement with your brand. You have this awesome logo. Yes. Uh, you have a cool name. So <laughs> tell us about the process of building the brand and also the way that you've balanced your own brand with the brands of the Mescaleros that you're working with. Right. So, you know, making a brand that just seemed like, an obvious thing to do from the very beginning. We, how could, how, uh, I didn't consider, there, nothing else made sense. Of course, I need my own brand because we're taking this curatorial approach mm-hmm. to bring in as many small batch uh, limited edition distillations as possible. Uh, if I didn't have a brand, i just call it, I don't know, with the name of the Mezclero, where it's from, it's, it gets really confusing very quickly. Yep. So you need just, uh, I, I need a unifying brand to tie it all together and and you know there are other things that we that are important to our brand image um that needs a name to go along with it like i was telling you guys earlier we don't one thing we decided very early on is we don't compromise on excellence um for i don't know convenience or saving a buck here or there it's just not uh, you could and i think some people do that but we decided we're not going to do that and another part of our brand image is, uh, I would say, it's the um, the academic in me, the part of me that's kind of like, I don't know, writes law review articles and <laughs> loves research and um, uh, cares about public interest. It's so it's that component about um, educating the public and learning about agave, sharing our enthusiasm, write, um, writing blog posts. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not doesn't translate directly into sales, but we do it because we love it and we want to share this information. We want to learn and share what we learn with the the the, the wider public. And uh, I, I think we try to do that in our blog post on our, our website. 
try to strike this balance between um, educational, but at the same time accessible and hopefully entertaining and interesting at, at the same time. And um, what are some of the main obstacles that you faced when after you decided you wanted to start um, working with these mescaleros, importing mm-hmm. mezcal, um, like just figuring out who, who you are in a competitive market, but also liquor is complicated. Sure, sure. Uh, so the... It's, there's never a dull moment. There's always some <laughs> um, problem we have to solve. Um, the, I would say um, doing business in, Mes- in Mexico is, uh-huh. is a, a new, it's definitely a new experience for me. Do you speak Spanish me. now? I, it's work in progress. It's definitely not perfect, <laughs> but I speak a lot more Spanish than I did when I first went to Oaxaca <laughs> or earlier this year, for example. And uh, uh, part of it just... Um, the any I think bureaucracy and dealing with the government getting approval for labels mm-hmm. just has this extra level of um, aggravation and yeah. uh, for lack of a better word in Mexico than here in the U.S. in comparison. So that that's definitely so. For example, c- currently um, I recently I've been working on label approval. So the labels have to be approved in Mexico in addition to being approved in the U.S. Uh-huh. Uh, I've gone through both. Uh, both and uh, it's definitely uh, a labor of love um, and a lot of patience Uh, I've gone through um, basically it doesn't get approved uh, it's not guaranteed that it'll get approved right away and it it, it requires kind of waiting through regulations in in Spanish it's legalese and Spanish on top of it and what's the main holdup um I would say uh one is that we, because we have taken this approach with bringing uh, not just one mezcal, but a bunch, uh, seven to be exact, of different types of mezcal. So I have to get a label approved for each uh-huh. mezcal. So holding all is equal, the, the more mezcal, the, the more potential for complication and delay. Um, another part of it is... Um, I just some, something even just as simple as spelling. You know, there are all these tildes in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, N and N with a tilde over it, for example, are two different letters, and they make different sounds in Spanish. Mm-hmm. So and being that I'm not a native Spanish speaker, and um, this is uh, a new language for me, up until this point, I was, I would say, more cavalier and um, less careful about spelling. It just didn't cross my mind. In my mind, this is the same letter, but mm-hmm. um, that was ground enough for at least one of our labels getting rejected. So now I've, I've learned. <laughs> now you're really careful. <laughs> now I'm super careful, super paranoid, super... And if, if only you had a lawyer on your founding team who could help you... Uh, uh, it, just so happens, it just so happens we do have a lawyer on our founding team. <laughs> so, well, so, so tell us some of the ways that, that your legal experience and, and career have helped or, or not helped uh, in launching I would say uh, it's definitely been a help. Um, I think one of the most valuable takeaways from my years of being... Um, a lawyer is um, not being afraid of tackling a problem that I have never dealt with before um, and feeling confident that eventually it will work out, that I'll find a solution because that's really what, what I did um, a lot as, as a lawyer. Um, if there's a there's if there's an issue that I that needs to be researched, I need to read through prior case precedents mm-hmm. and figure out what they say. And hopefully, um, hopefully they are on your side. They support what you say, and if they don't so much support what you say, you 
phrase them and frame them in a way to, <laughs> that support, to support you yourself as, as best as possible. So <laughs> I think those skills go a long way and, uh, when starting a business and wading through legalese and rules and regulations. And is there something specific to having been an antitrust lawyer that, that translates to, to what you're doing? Uh, I, I wouldn't say, for me, I don't think there's a direct translation or connection between antitrust and Mezcal as much as I, I love both. <laughs> but I, I think the indirect connection might just be who I am as a person and my values. You know, antitrust law is all, it's all about, it's pro-consumer. It's making sure the marketplace is healthy and vibrant. There are plenty of um, options. Uh, the pricing is fair for consumers and no company is, is abusing their market power and manipulating or twisting the market in some way. Um, and I think those same values I hold for for Mezcal and for Ursula Mezcal as, as a brand. You know, for example, I um, really care about transparency. I'm, we are very open about who our Mezcaleros are and um, their economic well-being and empowerment versus... I think some brands, uh, mezcal brands, are more secretive and protective about the source of their mezcal. Uh, for us, it's just you know, it's uh, it's we're proud and open out there with um, who our partner mezcaleros are. We consider them to be our partners, and if you want to, a competitor or just a, a mezcal lover wants to. Go trek to Oaxaca and show up at the Palenque and buy up all their mezcal. Power to you! Yeah. Like there's plenty of mezcal. There's uh, out there for for everyone. So that's um, uh, I would say the indirect connections between my values as a lawyer, as an antitrust lawyer, and now as a as a mezcal brand owner. And uh, where are you planning to sell? Like how you're bringing in your first shipment, Correct. which is super exciting. Yes. Uh, what happens next? Uh, what happens next? We would, after the Mezcal shows up, uh, crosses the border, shows up. <laughs> How, is it coming by, by ship or by truck? How does it actually it could, literally move? It could move both ways. Currently, we're thinking by truck. Okay. Uh, it's a long drive. Yeah, it is a long, long drive. drive. And after they show up, um, I would uh, they would have to go through distribution. Uh, here in the, in the U.S., I cannot just uh, sell a bottle of Mezcal to to Ethan or Jenny, if you, you have to buy it, you have to go through distribution. Uh -huh. So uh, I have to, f um, and distribution is different from state to state. So how it works in New York is not necessarily how it works in California. So um, basically I would uh, focus on um, getting the distribution conduit set up and uh, pretty much one state at a time or one geographic region at a time. And um, I definitely want it to be as accessible as possible to um, the entire country, um, and you know, especially some some places. You know, it's mezcal now. It's it's hip in big cities like L.A. and New York. But mm -hmm. there's there are plenty of cities in the the Midwest, for example, that have a sophisticated food and beverage scene. And the the mezcal is it's slim pickings. There's not many options. You see, I think they're ready for mezcal. Yeah. I, I would be so excited to uh, bring Urswell mezcal to these places. So, um, yeah, I would say just uh, client outreach, marketing, and distribution is what happens. Yeah. Well, um, in our last uh, few minutes, we always do a, a bit, little bit of a rapid-fire series of questions. It's nothing stressful. Okay. Um, just <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, just questions about you, um, fun facts about you so the listeners can get to know you more. So okay. I'll kick it off with my favorite question. Um, what kind, how do you like your eggs? 
How do I like my eggs? Uh, so many ways. Um, your favorite way. Picking your favorite baby. It, it, it's hard. I, I love all my babies. Um, <laughs> in a quiche. Scrambled, oh, fluffy. Okay, okay. Quiche. I don't think you've ever gotten yeah, that we've answer never gotten before. That. Oh. Good answer. Uh, um, in in a frittata. Oh, okay. oh, oh, oh. Um, I'm sensing a theme here. <laughs> not over easy. I'm I'm squeamish about you know runny eggs. <gasps> it's just one of those things. And yeah. what did you eat for lunch as a kid? Depending on how young we're, like how far back we're going back. I mean, I grew up in China and lived in China for the first eleven years, so. I don't know what I, I have. I don't remember what I was eating on a day to day basis. I think it's just whatever my was. I don't know being served in the school cafeteria, where oftentimes my mom would pack lunch. Um, what were your favorite school lunches? Oh man, um, I really like. I really love these um, salted duck eggs. Oh it's yeah, a Chinese thing. I just made some salted goose egg. Oh, that sounds. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> they're just, uh, have you had these? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're just, uh, it's just that the, the, the umami of the egg mm-hmm, yolk mm-hmm. after they're ready is just just out of control. Just so good. Yeah. Um, if you could have any uh, superpower, what would it be? Any superpower? Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to fly and mind reading. Maybe mind oh. reading more so than flying. Oh. What would you, what would you want to know? Yeah. Everything. The stock market, the future of Ursula Mescal. <laughs> from mind reading? This, is, is there somebody who knows the future of Ursula Mescal? Just know, isn't the, telling the god you? of Mescal. <laughs> um, when you are drinking Mescal without anybody watching, how do you drink it? <laughs> in the I, bathroom I'm, by yourself. I'm pretty mezcal. consistent like, in the way oh, yeah. I drink Mescal. You don't have like a way that, that but, you show other people and then when you're at home, you, you actually just like... Mix it with orange juice or something. Like that. <laughs> I, I, no, I don't. I never mix it with orange juice. Uh, I, you know, I take, I, I sip it. I, it's always sips. Maybe, maybe sometimes if I'm home by myself drinking mezcal, I might take the liberty of just uh, drinking straight out of the bottle. Oh. Instead of pouring it in the Maybe. What is your favorite cocktail that's made with mezcal? Uh, favorite. Uh, cocktail, I have several, and you know, if you go to our website, earthlawmezcal.com, there's a cocktail section that uh, it's work in progress, but it has at least a few cocktails that we love. Um, one is uh, what we call the Earthlaw Firebird, it okay. involves mezcal, so Earthlaw Mezcal, uh, obviously, and chamomile syrup, oh. which sounds fancier than it really is. It's essentially a simple syrup made with chamomile tea. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But the and then uh, pineapple juice, I would say those are the key ingredients. There's something, uh, so pineapple juice and mezcal is just a really good combination in general for all cocktails. In this particular case, adding chamomile syrup really just uh, kicks it off a notch. It's, and then um, pink peppercorn for garnish. And so it's got this peppery... Uh, nice. Floral. Floral. Um, what's the best meal you've ever eaten that cost less than $5? Best meal, less than $5. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be $10, but we've lowered oh, it. You lo- <laughs> people, people were too extravagant <laughs> yeah. at, at the $9.99 price point. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much, I don't know, 90% of my meals in Oaxaca. It's, you know, the my favorite taco stands. It, all of them are less than... What's your, what's your taco filling of choice? Taco filling of choice? There's so many. We just had, we had um, Dario Wallace, who's one of the, right. who's the co-founder Tukumbi. of Tacombi, a few weeks ago. And his taco philosophy was that it's really about the, the eater. You, you get a taco as a base and then you add all kinds of sauces and chilies and whatever else you want to it. So what's, what's, what are your taco toppings? Uh, I'm more about the, the, what's in the taco mm. than the, for me, the fillings are just icing on the cake. A, a good, solid taco should stand on its own merit. 
uh, with or without purist. A pure. Yeah. I guess you can call me a purist <laughs> when it comes to tacos. What's your filling of choice? Ah, oh, boy. Uh, so, for example, there's this taco truck that I really love in Oaxaca that only opens for business at I don't know nine at night. It goes till three or four in the morning, <laughs> and their specialty is the choncito. So it's it's a baby pig. It's a suckling pig, <laughs> and they're they only make I don't know two kinds of. Taco, so it's a baby suckling pig with chicharrón, a dusting of oh, a chicharrón. So uh, just no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're, say we're, no more. When's your next trip to Oaxaca, and can we come with you? Uh, please come with me. Please come visit <laughs> yeah. me anytime. Um, I leave for Oaxaca in a week. Oh wow! Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I was kidding, but you're actually no, going I, to Oaxaca. I, I, in a week. I'm back and forth between Oaxaca okay. and New That's York awesome. this year. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was so much fun, and we got to taste all these different types of mezcals. Thank you guys We've got a couple more for after the show. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Can you tell our listeners where to find you and when they can expect um, the first uh, time to purchase Earthwell? Yes, you can find us at earthwellmezcal.com or at Earthwell Mezcal on Instagram. And we're currently working on our first shipment to the U.S. Um, ETA, I would say late July or August, definitely later this year. So stay tuned. Great. And uh, I'm Ethan Frisch. You can find me on Instagram at Burlap and Barrel, my, my spice company. Um, I'm Jenny Dorsey. You can always find me at, at Chef Jenny Dorsey. And you can find us at Y, at y Food Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, want to nominate someone for the show. Yes, please. Please email us at yfood at heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks, Thanks for listening. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.